I got to this passage of scripture and through the course of the week, uh, I thought I had the understanding of this passage. It's three parables that Jesus shares based on the statement made by Pharisees that he's hanging out with sinners. And I've taught the parable of the, of the lost sheep and now we're gonna go to the lost coin and the parable of the, what they call the prodigal son or the lost son. And I thought I understood it until this week. And, and through the course of events and spending time with David, spending time with Charlie, spending time with folks in the congregation, all of these things coming together, a neat conversation with my wife, the passage opened up in a way I'd never seen before and I pray it blesses you. So we're gonna be in Luke chapter 15, uh, starting with verse eight. If you have a Bible, turn to it. If you don't, these folks walking down the aisle will give you one. Luke chapter 15. And we're gonna take a look starting at verse eight. And typically what we do here is uh, we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, we sit for the word of the teacher, one we honor, the other we tolerate. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We've already covered the parable of the lost sheep and uh, now we're gonna pick up at verse eight with the other two parables. Verse eight. The Lord speaking, he says, or what woman, having 10 silver coins, actually the translation is drachmas, These, this is a type of coin, they're very valuable. What woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So Jesus is saying the same thing three different ways. He does it again in this third time. Verse 11, Jesus said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, give me, everyone say, father, give me. Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. It's not actually the word prodigal, it means wasteful living. Uh, prodigal is a French word, Latin kind of combo. They put it in there, but it just means wasted living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, means he was in his right mind, he finally came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven." And before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Everyone say, make me. And what did he say before? Let's try that again. What did he say before? And what's he saying now? This is called change. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, he didn't even listen to his son, he just bypassed his son, talked to the servants. He said, bring out the best robe, which was his robe, by the way, and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it 
And let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older brother, we'll cover this next week, his older brother was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out, pleaded with him, So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet never gave me, you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with prostitutes, harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Uh, that's, there's actually three parables in the last parable. There's a parable of, of the son who's lost. It's the parable of the father's heart. and It's the parable of what I call the pouting brother. Uh, and we'll take a look at that next week. But this is what we're going to cover, so let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And we thank you, God, for this picture of the father's heart and the wayward son. And Lord, in this parable is a picture of ourselves so clearly but Lord, something even, uh, even more unique to us as we are going through so much as a nation. And Lord, you're speaking to the church and you're bringing an awakening, both young and old. And I'm, I'm grateful, God, for just the way in which you speak so timely. We love you, Lord. We ask your blessing. Holy Spirit, lead us into all truth. We thank you, Holy Spirit. You're a restrainer of evil. And now, Lord, as we examine these passages, I pray that you would bless us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, have a seat. So last week's parable that we covered, um, the parable of the lost sheep, and then the parable of the lost coin that we've now read, and then the parable of the lost son, all started from one simple statement that was made by the Pharisees and the scribes when they complained to Jesus at the beginning of the chapter. And it just simply went like this. The Pharisees and scribes complained saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So the idea of sinners is, and we've covered this, the idea of sinners is this man receives people who aren't perfect, So, again, it doesn't take a lot to drive the point home that all of us qualify. This man sits with imperfect people, and he eats with them, which is a better way of saying communes with them, has fellowship with them, uh, invites them into the home, or he's invited into their home. He has community with them. Community is common unity. He sits to try to understand them and spend time with them, and they are people who have a fallen nature. They're people that have issues. These are struggling people. And the Pharisees look at it as they have the law. They are righteous because of their observation of the law. They're on the right side of the law. And they have this ideological perspective that allows them to elevate themselves. And they see the people that Jesus is fellowshipping with. And they demean by saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus, based on their statement, begins to tell these these three parables. A parable is parabolos. It's parable... uh, parallel lines they go along next to each other he takes uh, an earthly illustration along with a heavenly truth so that we understand it and that's where you get the word parable 
So he tells these parables to instill a heavenly truth through an earthly story. And the first one is about the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep who are well cared for, they're safe. He leaves them to go find the one that's strayed. And we went through the whole picture with the uh, sheepdog and the sheepdog are natural enemies of, of sheep, but the sheep are submitted to the master, the shepherd, and so they bring safety to the sheep. And, and that's how we see police officers, they're ministers of justice to execute wrath on those who would do evil, but when they walk into a room and they have a gun, you're like, ah! but then you realize, oh, they're with the shepherd, <laughs> right? <laughs> And so we trust them because they wear the uniform and God we trust and, and we see this and we give them that respect and they keep us ordered. And we stay together and the community's safe. And not only is it safe from them being a predator to us, but it's safe because they'll be a predator to anyone who tries to attack us. And we're grateful. And they're yielded to the shepherd. And one of us strays off, which is real typical because we're, we're prone to wandering. Bind my wandering heart to thee. And we wander. And he leaves the 99, he goes out to find this wandering sheep. And when you bring the sheep back, and by the way, I keep itching, I got chiggered. Uh, and you guys are going, there's not chiggers in California. I read it on next door. It has to be true. I thought that'd be, everything I read in next door is true. Has to be. I don't know how I got them there. I, you want to see? No, I'm just kidding. All right, let's get back to this. So as they leave the 90, as he leaves the 99 to find the one, and this is, this is the picture for us, he brings the sheep back, but they're prone to wander. So even though the sheep comes back, another one may wander or that one may wander again. But it's the shepherd's heart to keep us in community. It's the shepherd's heart to bring us back. And God wants us to be together. He wants us safe. He wants us in this realm and then he goes into this picture of what we would consider a sheep that wanders, and then he takes an inanimate object. And first he says a 99 and the one, so it's 100 to one. And then he brings us to the next parable, which is an inanimate object, and it's not 99 to one, now it's 10 to one. And, and the inanimate object is a coin. The coin is lost, listen, the coin is lost, pay attention, the coin is lost by no fault of its own, by the fault of someone else. There are a lot of people in our culture that are lost, and it's by no fault of their own, in the sense that they have never heard the gospel. They have been raised in a secular system. They have been taught that we have been created, not even created, we have, we, we have appeared by some primordial soup as a cosmic accident. There's no God. There's no order to the universe. It's, it's cosmic chance. There's no absolutes. It, it, it does, this, is, this is what their life is about. Survival of the fittest. Darwinian evolution. And then turn on the TV, they get no input. They're not, they're not educated, they're indoctrinated. Hollywood doesn't make movies that, that entertain us, they make movies that indoctrinate us. They don't do things that are real or truthful, although Midway was awesome, go see it. <laughs> Ford versus Ferrari here is remarkable. I mean, fossil fuels burning, men being men. This is, go see that. I think that would be cool. <laughs> but then you see these others that you're like, why do you put this out? Nobody wants to see it, and all of your reviewers give it great reviews, and then all the people go to see it give it lousy reviews. 
And then the ones that people like, the, the reviewers don't like. And you're watching this, this, this desire to drive culture. And this is what they're raised in. And, and they're lost by no fault of their own. This is what they've been raised in. But the Bible says all creation speaks of the glory of God. And Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, says everyone's created with a God-shaped void. They have a longing and they're lost. And so this woman who loses this coin, this inanimate object, lost by no fault of, of the coin's fault, but fell off the woman's outfit. It was probably her, you know, wedding endowment, you know, coins and, a, you know, part of her dowry. And so she's lit the candle, she's swept the house, she's cleaned everything. And the idea is, when, when somebody's lost, our job as the church is to, is, is to clean up our side of the street. Clean the house, wherever you live, make it that way. And, and, and if someone's lost, they, they'll, they'll stand out and we'll find them. And she lights the, the lamp and she cleans the house and she finds it and when she finds it, she rejoices and she goes and tells everybody, I found this and it, it's back. And this is a picture of the Lord's heart and, and the angels in heaven. The joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Repent means change. I was doing this and, and now I'm doing what God wants. And they're back. And so you have, you have wandering sheep and you have an inanimate object that's lost. And now he comes to a human being. A human being. Now we devalue human beings. I was watching who's going to be speaking next week, the seal of God, uh, Chad Williams. He's a Navy SEAL, and he did this thing at Gold Coast Community College, Golden West Community College, and he went out and he, he gave a scenario to the students walking through, and he said, you know, if there was a woman who liked to sit out on her patio at her home and drink her coffee in the seat she was in, and a bald eagle comes in that's protected and wants to nest where she sits and then poops where she's sitting and lays eggs where she's sitting, and, and, and is it right for her to remove that because it's her area? And all of the students said, no, it's protected, it's an eagle and the eggs are protected. It's an endangered species and, and it's protected by law. And it's too bad. She loses her spot. She can sit somewhere else. At which point he then says, do you feel the same way about a baby? And they said, well, that's, that's different. So the baby's not wanted. What does that mean? Maybe someone doesn't want the eagle. What does that mean? Well, he and they, they used the word, he said, you'd kill it? And he said, I'd, no, it, no, you terminate. And, the, and, and this is what, but wait, this is the inanimate object of lost coins. They don't, this is what they've been taught. This, this is the culture that this entire generation has been raised in. And you look and you think, how do you reach him? And he's laying these stories out and they start to ponder it. And some of them are moved by it. You can watch it on this video, they're moved by it. And others call the police and say, I'm being harassed. I don't, I don't like an opposing view. Make him go away. I'm, I'm threatened because your views are challenging my own. But it's humanity. And so in this last parable, not only does Jesus take this third parable to drive the point home of the lost and, and the father's heart, but he has three parables inside this one parable. And the first thing he says is, when we have the parable of the lost sheep and then you have the parable of the lost coin and the woman, I'll pass that, but we get to the prodigal son. And in this story of the prodigal son, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Now, any Pharisee or scribe listening to Jesus' parable would, would gasp when they hear 
this story being told. Because in Jewish law, the only time you give the inheritance is when you die. And you release your kung fu grip on your possessions and then you let the kids have at it. And you hold on to it. Kung fu grip, like Daffy Duck, mine. And then you let it go to the family. And a man had two sons and the younger of them, the younger, not even the oldest one, the youngest of them comes to him and says, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And what he's saying is, like the Menendez brothers, do you remember them? They killed their parents to get the inheritance. He's actually trying to be a little nicer, but he's basically saying this, I wish you were dead. Now give me my money. I'm not gonna wait till you die. If you want me to kill you, I will. But I'd rather you just give me the money so I can go my merry way. I don't wanna live with you. I don't wanna live under your rules. I don't wanna live under your precepts. I don't wanna live under your authority. I want, your, I want the money and I wanna get out of here. And if you don't give it to me, I'm not waiting until you're dying. Give it to me now. Give me. Give me. Give me. So he divided to them his livelihood. His livelihood. What he worked for. What he earned. He gave it to the boy. Not many days after, the young son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country. When it says gathered all together, it means that he cashed in whatever was given to him, whether it's jewels, and he takes the cash, and he takes this wad of money, and he journeys to a far country. Now, a far country doesn't have to be distance. It could be culturally far. It could be different. It could be far different than where you are morally. I remember when Natasha left our house, and, and she took off, she, she went to a far-off country, Oxnard. And off they go, and, and, and they, they go, and this idea is prodigal living. He gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions on wasteful living. It's, I got money to burn. Give me. And then he goes to a place where that's encouraged. And while he's there, he is the life of the party because he's got resources. And he's got friends. He's got a grip of friends. And... And, and with this grip of friends, they gather, but when the money's gone, the friends are gone. Give me, Dad. And then the friends that he's around say, give me. And, and it's a tribe of gimmies. And then he runs out of money, and it implodes. He's sick of his home. He's away from home. And now the story goes to where he becomes homesick, and then he goes home. And in this... He runs out of the money, and you'd think he'd get that lesson. And I remember Natasha, tough as nails. She goes and, and she runs out of money. She's, she's broke. She's trying to make it work. And she still won't quit. She tries to finagle and work something, and it just isn't coming together for her. And I remember when she left, it just, it was tragic. And it was almost like, and, and let, me, let me point to you this way. For 12 years of her life, she was raised in a culture that was the ex-Soviet Union, although she was born during the Soviet Union's occupation or reign in, in Russia. And then she was in, you know, an a outskirts town that never really transitioned and raised secular, no God in the equation, um, 
and when she came here, she didn't speak any English. And, and for the first year or two, she would come to church and didn't know that her dad was a pastor and didn't know why people were doing this, raising their hands. I mean, she, she understood people raising their hand at a football game, but why would you raise your hand in a church? And didn't comprehend it. And then when the rules and the regulations, she enjoyed the, the joy of it, but saw all the freedoms and the abilities and, and thought, this is, I, 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 don't want, I don't want this. I don't want the God thing. I don't, I don't buy it. I don't get it. I don't want it. But I, I want this. I've got a lot of options. I want freedom. Now, the difference between liberty and freedom, liberty is, is doing what's right. Freedom is having choices. Because Michelle and I have been doing what's right, that affords our family freedom. The apostle Paul started with liberty while he was in prison, and then the church was set free, and now we have an abundance. And with liberty comes abundance, or freedom comes abundance. With abundance comes apathy. With apathy comes dependence. With dependence comes bondage in that whole circle. But because we exercise liberty, our children have freedom. And Natasha thinks, well, I've got freedom. Well, it comes at the expense of your parents' liberty, obedience. Yeah, but I don't want the obedience. I want the freedom. And I don't want to live here anymore. Okay? I mean, we, we have rules. And interestingly enough, in the course of all this, one of the things that, that you struggle with as a pastor um, is in 1 Timothy chapter three, it says the qualifications of a minister. And when Natasha was wayward, she was over 18, but we'd had some struggles with her. And this passage of scripture says, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a pastor, he desires a good work, he must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he then take care of the church of God? So you got a wayward child and you're thinking to yourself, maybe I shouldn't be in the ministry. But according to the passage, it says, one who rules his house well. I've got rules. And you don't abide by them. So you gotta go. If you wanna stay, these are the rules. You see, it's called free will. I can't force my daughter to believe whether she's a wayward sheep or she's a lost coin or she's a prodigal child. I can't force that. I can't, I can't rip open her chest and put in a Bible and seal it up and say, you've been healed. <laughs> I can't do that. But there are rules, which is fascinating. Because as we contend for culture, one of the pushbacks from the church is this idea that we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you believe in your heart, you confess with your tongue, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. If that's you, raise your hand. God bless you, I see your hand. Now come forward and let us pray for you and give you a Bible. Our job is done. But nowhere in the scripture does it say that we are to make converts. We're to make disciples. Not just disciples, disciples of all nations. Nations means constitutions, compacts, agreements. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. 
We have a compact in our home, ekonomos, which is the economy of the household, which is community, and then it grows larger as there's houses next door, and how do we dwell in an HOA, and we have a community, and we have rules that we abide by. We don't steal from each other, and we don't cheat, and we don't lie, and this is how it operates. And we're to make disciples so that people can dwell together in common unity, community. What's the point of the law? I mean, we're saved by grace, and you read these passages and you say, hey man, I got my get out of hell free card. I've been I've saved by grace. The only reason for the law, and the only reason why the law is there is to show us we can't keep it, so we're saved by grace, man. Well, I'm thankful that people who ministered to my daughter didn't believe as such. They labored to establish principles that everywhere she'd turn in rebellion to God, she would hit a brick wall. I'm I'm grateful that you can't operate in that context. I'm grateful she never got in a place where she was entitled. People showed her you gotta work to get something in return. I'm glad those principles were established and as she started to see the contrast between a home that operates in liberty that provides freedom and one that just seeks freedom and then doesn't apply liberty and loses it. And she finds herself a year or two later in bondage. She had had her head shaved, she'd gotten a tattoo, she had gained weight, she was struggling with alcohol. Bondage. I wanted freedom and I got bondage. And then as she's living in this hovel and it just stinks and it's miserable and she's living in, and she's out of money and it's just awful and people are stealing her food and people are lying and she's getting beat up and all these things are happening. She looks and she says, this isn't freedom, this is bondage. I wanna go back to where there was liberty and there was freedom. I wanna go back to a house that had order and structure. Dad, can I come home? The parable of the lost child, the parable of the lost son, I love this painting. You can see he's just disheveled and and his clothes are tattered. I love the dog. You can't see the full picture of the dog, but his tail's going nuts. I mean, it's not a moving picture, but you can just, by the way the painter did it, you can see this tail. I can't pronounce the Italian artist. It's too confusing. You see the servants bring in the robe, but the thing that I love the best is in the upper right-hand corner is the older brother. He's just got this, well, isn't that special? (laughs) And and I, I will confess that there were times that the children at home saw her come back and saw us lavish on her and love on her, and they're like, why are you treating her any different? And in all fairness to them, you know, we were thrilled she was there. I thought the next call would be from the corner to come pick her up. And I was thrilled. And the kids were never bitter like the older brother. They, you know, but you go through this process. And we do it in the church, too. You know, you, you see people coming. I, I just, I can't believe we allow people with, men with earrings in the church. <laughs> or people with haircuts like Micah's. <laughs> <laughs> As a matter of fact, I got a picture of, no, no, it's not. <laughs> but this is a picture of, of the prodigal son in the, in the pigsty. And he's, he's at the end of himself. And this, uh, this is interesting. When you get to the end of yourself and you recognize that that's where God begins. And, and God's in the business of, of emptying us so that he can fill us. We're full of ourselves. And there's no room for him. And he's waiting and I was waiting and Michelle was waiting and we were praying and we went through all kinds of struggles 
And, and I love the picture of the father that looks afar off. We were waiting for that call. There wasn't a day that went by we weren't praying. There wasn't a day that went by we weren't thinking about it. It was on our heart day and night. And at times we thought, you know, and, and the enemy would, would creep in and whisper and folks would say stuff and, and you're not doing enough. And the guilt, oh my gosh, the guilt. For, for any of you who have a wayward child, let me help you with something. They aren't wayward because of you. I mean, you can have the lost coin and you can have the sheep that wanders and the child that just wants to do what they want to do. But if your house is ordered and you've got rules and they didn't abide by them, even if you failed, they're still accountable to the Lord. You introduced them to the Lord. Now, granted, if there's abuse in the home, you've got some corrections to do and you've got some apologies to make and you've got some repentance to do. But the reality is a lot of kids just wander and the world draws them. And then you fall to your knees and you pray and you intercede and you get all the, the condemnation and you get the, the looks. But I'll tell you, there wasn't a day that went by that we weren't waiting for that call. I see that picture and I'm just touched by it. And I, I love this, that when he sees him afar off, the scripture says he begins to run. Actually, the idea is he lifts up his, his robe so his knees are exposed, which is so not what a patriarch would do in a Jewish home. It, it's just not kosher I don't know how else to put it and he's and he's running and anyone hearing the story they're they're kind of taken aback by it but they're moved by it as well who can't be moved by a dad who loves his kids who can't be moved by a son who wants to come home and the, the picture of, of the father in this, and I, I love this one. You just see him afar off and he's just running. He can't wait. Now, when you see that picture, I want you to stop for a minute. Everyone in the room at one point or another is a prodigal. There's wasteful stuff. You know what it is. Those sins that easily beset you, you, you spin off on your own direction. You abandon what God wants for your life. You take matters into your own hands. You move to a far off country in your own mind. You spend... From, from what God has blessed you, you spend it on stuff that isn't what he wants you to spend it on. And then there's a famine in the land. You start running up a little debt. I want you to know something. God's not going, you are pathetic. Why would you even think I'd want you back? I blessed you and this is what you do? That's not God at all. God is patient and long-suffering, wanting that none would perish, but that all would be saved. The picture of, in the parable of the father is one that just should touch you deeply and touches me because I've felt it towards my daughter. I, there's, I don't think there's anyone on the earth that's hurt me more, and yet I never stop loving her. And I don't even remember why I was hurt. It's, it's gone now. She's back. It's like, it's, whatever it was, I'm just so happy you're here. I just, I couldn't be happier. You're here. And when I sense that, I just, I get the heart of the father. And you may have had a, a lousy dad. But, but here's the interesting thing. The father would run for your wayward father as much as he'd run for you. He's waiting for everyone to return. And when he grabs you and he grabs the one that you're struggling with, this is, this is the father. I love this picture too. And I went through all of these and I, I saw these pictures and I was moved by this parable and it touched me deeply. And as I said, I'll get to the story of the pouting son in our next study. 
But the part that gets me is the scripture says there was a mighty famine in the land. That's fascinating. Blaise Pascal says that everyone is created with a God-shaped void. You run after the world and there's not enough of it to ever satisfy and you'll always be hungry and starving. The only thing that satisfies the Lord because you've been created to have a relationship with him and apart from God, you're empty because you're a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit and you can't live apart from him. It just doesn't work and there's never enough. That's why they have to have a new centerfold each week. That's why you have to have endless videos. That's why you gotta have another song. You gotta have a, a, a new champion of the voice. You gotta have, you gotta have, you gotta have, you gotta have. There's gotta be new designs and new things and, and you, you gotta run after it. And there's never enough. And there's a famine in the land. And if money could make you happy, the rich people would have it. And their children would be the most well-developed but that's the antithesis. And they struggle. There's a famine in the land. A famine doesn't have to have a, happen in a faraway country, but this famine is one God created that there's nothing to satisfy but the Lord. And that's the way God designed us. And I love that. It didn't matter where Natasha went, she was never satisfied. Never. And then, as this happens, the scripture says that he endeared himself to someone from another country he, he started as a, the famine was severe and he was in want. He then went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. I get a kick out of this. The young kids lost coins, raised with this idea that socialism is the next thing and they're following the Bernie Sanders vans around the country and, you know, whatever. For us, it was the Grateful Dead. and Whatever it is, you're just going to find yourself. <laughs> when you find yourself, you're like, I don't know that I ever wanted to know that about me. But you go out running after everything that's the antithesis of what God wants for your life and, and, you, and socialism's the answer. And, 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 and if we can just abandon God and, and do something new apart and just abandon all these restraints and just find ourselves. And that's really worked well for us in the 6,000 years of recorded history. Socialism, communism, you know, social nationalism. It's just resulted in millions, if not over a billion deaths, just wiping out humanity. Wiping it out. And you go out there and, and, and you, you think to yourselves, well, we, we want socialism. And it's different socialism. This, this is democratic socialism. It's like a, a dog do with sprinkles. <laughs> socialism, democratic socialism. Oh, oh, that has sprinkles. It's different. And you look and you say, what, if you like this so much, why don't you endear yourself to Venezuela? Just go, they've got it, enjoy it. They're eating zoo animals, go on. Well, uh, that's, that's, that's socialism, this is democratic. So, no, 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 that's what they said it was. Yeah, but it's not the same. And you hurt for them. And he, he endears himself to a citizen of another country. He sends him into the field to feed his swine. They're abusing him. He's not even getting an honest day's wages. And he can't even eat the pods that the pigs are eating. And he finally, the scripture says, he comes to himself. And, and that's what I love about an awakening. I've watched, and, and that's, the American Renewal Project is, is spiritual. The byproduct's political. I love that. I love that. 
You're applying these principles of the Lord. People are worshiping God. You're bringing God's people in to, to apply these principles and to encourage their community and educate the pastors. And then over here, you have all these lost coins that are drawn to politics. And so you do politics, and through that, the byproduct spiritual. And the two work. And, and this awakening, you come to yourself, you go, wait a minute. This doesn't work. I've done the commune thing. People are jerks. And then the equal deal, it never works. And I'm always the one getting the short end of the stick. And all this takes place. And he finally says, I, I, I'm gonna go home. Even if I can be a servant in my dad's house, he's got abundance there. And I, I share this because the passage ministered to me. I've got 12 minutes and I'll close with this. The, pa the passage this week really jumped out at me and here's why. Galatians 3. And I get beat up by the churches all the time because I'm political and I'm a pastor and I don't preach the gospel. Give me a break. Galatians 3, the apostle Paul writes, and this is the same Galatians that Paul said, stand fast therefore in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. He wrote that when he was in prison. He writes this to the church in Galatia. He says, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. He quotes out of Habakkuk chapter two, verse four. He says, yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. And he quotes out of Leviticus 18. You guys are saying, what's that? What's the point? He goes further. He says, before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was a tutor, a teacher, to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. These three parables jumped out at me. They jumped out at me. The lost coin and the woman cleans the house and lights it. That's the church. Seek and to save that which is lost and we clean up the community and we clean up our side of the street and we engage. We go after the one and the 99 who are strayed and keep them in community and protect them and we got the sheepdog and we're protecting from predators and this is what we do. And then you have the heart of the father. Everyone's gonna fail. We're all gonna fall short but we're gonna welcome you back and if you have to be experiential and go out there, you're gonna realize that you're gonna end up with nothing because you're bound regardless of where you go. You're bound by the laws of nature and nature's God. And the Lord directed this. Paul wrote about it when he said in Galatians, the just shall live by faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. The law is not of faith. Well, then what's the point of the law? Why do we have the law? Well, you remember I was convicted, having a wayward daughter, that a pastor is to rule his own house well. Well, I ruled my house well. I'll give you proof. There's speed limits called 65 miles per hour. Has anyone in this room ever broken that? Raise your hand. Is anyone lying right now? Raise your hand. <laughs> rules don't mean you follow them, but I've got rules. As for me and my house will serve the Lord. I ruled that house. And you don't want to live by this. I'm not going to subsidize 
and, 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 and cause you to be enabled. You go out and experience what life, like, what life is like without the covering of liberty and you go follow what you think is freedom and you're gonna experience the laws of nature and nature's God because nobody likes a taker. Give me, give me, give me and you're gonna be with friends who will be give me, give me, give me and then nobody has anything. Socialism works until you run out of the other person's money. Give me, give me. And now we have a problem. And in Leviticus 18, the Lord says, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he will live by them. I'm the Lord. The idea is these laws are important because you'll flourish. And if you don't, you're gonna hit a faraway country and you're gonna end up in a pigsty eating pods and you're gonna come home and home will have rules and there'll be a place where you will have a relationship with God. You see the law in culture as Christians that we clean up and light the house and look for the lost is the law is a school teacher to point people to Christ. We establish these principles in our culture so that people see the Lord. God wants us in the community he wants us involved in the making of these laws to help all of these wayward sheep, to help find this lost coin, to help children come home, and to see the consequences of their actions. You think either there's, there's feeling good and doing good. Feeling good is you see the, the guy on the corner who's disheveled and asking for a handout. Don't give him any money. It may feel good, but you're ruining them. And please, if, if my daughter was out there, don't do that for her. Who are we to get in the way of what God wants to do to bring someone to the end of themselves? There's a reason why we're struggling. Now, if they want to come home, we're waiting. There's plenty of, of, of opportunities in this community to help any single one of these folks. I'm the mayor, I know. But you want to feel good? We won't give straws, plastic straws, but we'll give hypodermic needles. It feels good, but it's not doing good. We've had a 50% increase in overdose deaths in Los Angeles because we feel good. It's called doing the right thing. Leviticus, God says, if you walk in my statutes, you keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land will yield its produce and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing and you shall eat your bread in the full. Dwell in your land safely. I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall chase a hundred and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you for I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful and multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat of the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among, my, among you and be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright, but, big but, but if you do not obey me, I do not observe all these commandments. And if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I will also do this to you. 
I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease, fever which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of the heart, and you shall sow your seed in vain, and your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. And those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. And God allows that because he wants you to come home. And he's our father. And what's interesting is that when our founders put all this together and they gave us a constitution and a declaration of independence and this is why I wear the shoes and I'll close with this. I got five minutes. They looked at a culture of community and they didn't want to force you to become a believer. But they wanted to establish principles that would point you as a teacher to the Lord. And so what they did in the 6,000 years of recorded history, they put together one of the most fascinating documents the world has ever known. They declared your inalienable rights come from God. And they called God by four different titles. But the one that touches me deeply in the Declaration of Independence is this statement. The laws of nature and of nature's God. You see, it is a way of speaking of God insofar as God is knowable by human reason. In other words, our minds, unassisted by divine revelation, can figure out that there is such a thing as, a hu as human nature and that there are laws or rules that we must follow if we are to live justly and well. Reason can see that if we violate those laws, we will suffer such evils as death, slavery, or, and I don't know what the last word is, but it's really cool. <laughs> if you don't honor God, you're gonna end up in a faraway land eating pods in a pigsty. We're governed by these laws. You want freedom to operate outside of God? I just read to you out of Leviticus 26. If you do this, I'll do this. If you don't, I'll do this. I shared it with Natasha, my daughter. You go ahead. You have freedom. Go. You have a free will. You don't want to be here. Go. But when you come back here, I can't wait. I'm looking for you. She left by saying, Father, give me. She came home saying, Dad, I want to be like you and Mom. Make me a servant. I don't want to take, I want to give. I want to serve, Dad. Father, please forgive me. Don't give me what I want. Make me what you want me to be, speaking of God our Father. And I, I close with this. I was asked to, you can turn that off if you would. I was asked um, by KDAR to do a, uh, a, a radio spot because of the Saga shooting as though somehow I'm qualified because we've been through that. I called the mayor of El Paso, I called the mayor of Virginia Beach, I called the mayor of Saugus, I've, I've reached out, I've sent emails, each of these miserable. The question that I was asked by the interviewer, he said, what's the easy answer to this? There's no easy answer. You, you, you can't just pass a magic wand. This is a result of us sowing to this. 
You, you, you raise children to think that they've, they've evolved from apes. You're, you're shocked that they act like them. You've got lost coins. I, I, lived, I lived 15 houses from a lost coin. I never talked to him. He perpetrated evil on our city. He was an instrument of evil. I lived 15 doors from him. This other kid in Saugus, Boy Scout, homegrown, lost coin. And in those cases, inanimate objects, no fault of their own, there's fault. Don't, don't underestimate what I'm saying. Please, don't read into it. But the reality is, until the church starts cleaning up, lighting some lights, and applying these principles to point people to Christ and getting engaged in the community and, and understanding how sheepdogs work and understand what community means and understand how to honor the shepherd and understand what it means to clean up our side of the street and bring the light of the gospel and to look for that inanimate object and that lost coin that has been inculcated and indoctrinated with stupidity and then to go after the wayward ones that have indulged in the world even though they know what's better and to bring them home and to have grace and not to look at them like the, the older brother. As though somehow we're better than the rest of the world. Come in here if you have an earring. I don't care. Come in. Come in. I don't, try not to come in naked, but come in. <laughs> You're welcome. And when you come, be touched. And don't say, give me. Come in and say, Lord, make me. You're a servant. Make me one too. And you can approach it by spiritual byproduct political and you can approach it by political byproduct spiritual. It's an awakening. Pray for it, engage in it and watch what God does in and through it. In Jesus' name, amen.